This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Deadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AW Dynamite, but also AW Collision, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, oh! pay-per-views, premium live events, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Michael Cedric, Michael Hamvler, bloody part-timer not here. Um, no, he's... Uh, Train strikes and what have you. He is uh, working from home today. But, Sige, we are here to get your thoughts on AW Blood and Guts. What an all-over-the-place show this was. Yeah, I, I'm i looking forward to doing this podcast because I cannot give you a summary. We usually do that first. Yeah. I don't know. Elements of this I really enjoyed. Aspects are creeping into this program that fundamentally I don't know if I like. And then some absolutely incredible things happen. And then some other things get in the way of those incredible things. I was driven mad by bloodlust. <laughs> I was entertained by things I principally, on principle, don't agree with. And at certain points, I felt a bit sad. Hmm. Well, let's dive into it then, because I think I'm in the same position as you. As I watched this show. It ended. And I thought... I don't know how I feel about this show. I don't feel angry. I don't feel ecstatic. But I have fluctuated between those two emotions throughout it. And I sort of looked online and got a similar Ugh. response, basically. I don't think anyone had this at a 10 out of 10. No. Um, well, let's start at the beginning of the show. The show opens uh, with uh, Baltimore. And, and I was thinking, that's weird that they've kept that for Jungle Boy Jack Perry. But, Specifically when he said you don't get it anymore. Yeah. But it was all part of his entrance. Andy told me this morning he saw someone on social media saying, just a bit of a confusing opening to AEW Dynamite. How is it confusing? It was literally <laughs> a, a simple, like, what are they going to do? Well, who is he burying in the desert? That's the question. No, he was killing. You need that spelling out. I mean, I don't think wrestling's for you, to be honest. I think WWE is more your speed. So, yeah, Tarzan Boy plays. It gets cut off. Video. Who's Jack Berry burying in the desert? He 
in cowboy boots or what have you. Uh, jungle, Jack jungle Perry. Attire, yeah. Um, and then a limo turns up, and Jack Perry gets into that, and then Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, I think it was, plays. What? Yes. <laughs> I thought like, what? I was, I was Abandon ready. that. I was like, okay, it's going to be some grungy, like, metal. Screw you, fans. I don't need you anymore. I'm not Jungle Boy Jack Perry. I'm just Jack Perry. And then Beethoven dropped, and I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> Uh, an, an odd choice that in no way, shape, or form worked. Abandon that one immediately and let me, in about two years, write a list entry about 10 AEW moments you totally forgot about yes. and put this weird thing in it. Uh, so obviously Jack Perry's facing Hook for the FTW title. I did, I did like Excalibur's decision to be like, well, FTW championship looks to, looks to his right. There's Taz. Tony Schiavone, uh, tell me about the history of the FTW title. What was all, I suppose maybe he thought, it's too close to this. This is the, only the beginning of the weirdness and the weird sensations I felt on this show. Like Beethoven asking Schiavone for the exposition on the title. Like, what's going on? Yeah. So obviously Hook has been wanting to get his hands on Jack Perry for a long time. He goes after him. Uh, Perry bails to the outside and gets nailed over the barricade. Uh, Hook um, hits a Superman punch off the barricade as well. Uh, but Jack Perry t- takes to a break, takes over by using an eye rake, of course. Uh, when we come back, um, he looks like Hook's going to be German suplex off the apron. He reverses it into an exploder suplex onto the floor. Oh, my God. That looked brutal. I mean, it was, oh, my God, but I didn't, would never want to take that myself. It looked absolutely brutal, and I wish they hadn't done the um, follow-up camera angle for mm. the replay because it just it looked perfect. I wanted it to look dangerous. Yes. Um, so Hook is not content with the count out victory. He throws Jack Perry back inside, but or he goes to do that, sorry, and Jack posts him and hits a draping DDT off the apron. He's more than happy to win via count out. But Hook, that. Hook, yeah, Hook dives in at nine. Um, so Jack Perry grabs him and hits a release German. <laughs> Hook pops straight back up and that look on his face. Oh, my God. Uh, he hits several bridging Germans uh, for a two count. Goes oh, they, for a, they all look great as well. Yeah, goes for a third. Perry grabs the ref, the old mule kick to the cock, uh, and a charging forearm in his neck basically gets uh, Jack Perry a near fall. He realizes that's not going to get it done, so he grabs the FTW title. There's an awkward, like, pulling, pushing thing with Paul Turner. He gets bumped into the, or sandwiched in the corner. Hook. Grabs and grabs Perry and hits a head and arm suplex and gets the pin, but there's no one there to count it. He goes after the official. Perry grabs the FTW title and just nails Hook with it. Drapes an arm over him. One, two, three. The undefeated streak of Hook is over, and Jack Perry is only the sixth, I think, FTW champion in history. Taz, Sabu, Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, Hook. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, didn't feel like it's just the FTW title. Yeah. <laughs> I love Taz, but I don't love that title. Never have. Mm. Never. What is it? <laughs> I was. I know they explain it, but it's the, the explanation of the title is a meme. Mm. It's kind of an attitude. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting for the the heater. I was promised by you, by me, <laughs> with my fantasy booking, and I do not, in fact, work for All Elite Wrestling. I'm Came paid very close ha- in the main event, though. Yeah, paid handsomely by them, but I am not. Yeah. Um, I am not booking for them. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, bad news first, right? I 
did uh, two bits of bad news before I get into a match that I thought was really well done. Uh, one, if this was a referendum on Jack Perry, the character, I think it's inconclusive. Mm -hmm. I think the character can still not be very good and the wrestler can still work a good match in that character at the same time. Absolutely. The other thing is I did not like the finish. I did not like the finish. Hook has been undefeated since, what, December 2021 he made his debut? I think so, yeah. Hasn't been defeated. This should have scanned as a major, major shock, and I guess it did. Um, so maybe the actual mechanics of the finish didn't matter if the result still scanned as a, a you Jack Perry for doing that. You know, it got over as a heel he'd finish. But, again, this is when the excesses of AEW come back to bite AEW on the arse. And maybe it didn't because the finish got over. But hitting someone with a belt or a weapon shot, A, isn't a transgression because everybody does it. Mm -hmm. B, too many people have kicked out of it. They've squandered that one time and again as a near fall. Like I, I, I recall Orange Cassidy kicking out of belt shots I agree. Uh, more than once. So it doesn't feel like, ah, well, he's not going to kick out of that, but you don't think less of him for it. I've seen millions of people in AEW kick out of belt shots. So when Hook didn't, I think he was reduced a little bit. They should have really, really thought more about this finish rather than just doing like the roller decks of Carney f finishes, like um, distraction, entrance music, um, belt shot. Um, they love that mule kick to the back of the balls when the referee is locked eyes with the person doing the mule kick. They love that as well. So they've gone through the ruler decks and just picked one. I thought you should have created a new card and done a re like really thought extensively about that finish that didn't. But this match, I really, really thought it was um, a success. It was the first proper back-and-forth hook match. I think it was the longest one he's worked. Yeah. And the rap on hook is that he's got this incredibly unique working style with the judo influence and all the rest of it. Um, but you've, because he's still... Barely got one page on his cage match. There's certain elements of his game that, understandably, aren't there yet. Like he runs the he runs the ropes a little bit weird, and <laughs> um, sometimes his strikes aren't the best. Um, and the jury's always being out on his selling because he plays a character that sometimes no sells or just kicks ass a lot. I thought his selling was really good, yeah. and it was literally really convincing because he convinced the crowd that he was out for that ten count. And his timing on getting back in at 9.9 .9 was A, fabulous, and B, believable, because, again, the fans thought he was literally down and out. So I thought it was a really good night for Hook in that regard. He's evolved clearly to get some of the basics of the things that everyone has to do correct. And Jack Perry, even if this character is either not a good fit for him or, you know, it's got a very mid-card flavor or it's just downright weird with the Beethoven. He has, in fact, learned something from his mentor because I thought this match was very Christian-pilled. Like, <laughs> it was kind of a slow burn, and it just... Christian Cage has got this incredible knack of peaking a TV match at the right time so that the last two or three minutes are really, really, really hot, and it benefits from that slow build. And Jack Perry naturally enough, has inherited that throne yeah. on, the, on the back of this because it was pretty great throughout, or, like, really good throughout. Um, but I just thought it was really elegantly paced. 
like mm. a, a pacing that was mature beyond the years of the people involved. But ah, that finish didn't do out for me. Mm. Uh, then we go to Alex Marvez, investigative reporter. Oh my god, he's spying on a secret meeting between Chris Jericho and Don Callis. Uh, they're at a restaurant in a booth. <laughs> Marvez is like, "Oh, this is good stuff." And then, can't sc- hear it. Security catches him, kicks him out. Basically, so odd, a bit wacky for me. This, like, I understand that that's he's the guy who gets the scoops. Rene Paquette is the interviewer who gets like the personal questions. Alex Marvez is the scoops guy, <laughs> and he is so. He's almost endearing in how not good he is. Yep. Like, I I think he just... I always hate burying Marvez because it's... You can't really punch down at a guy who's got a job because he's Tony Khan's mate. Mm-hmm. That's not really punching down. You can punch up at Nepo babies and mm. people who just get jobs because of who they're fortunate enough to be friends with. But he just seems like the nicest, most well-meaning, yeah. would-not-hurt-a-fly guy. Um he amuses me when maybe that's not what he's there to do. Um, bit weird. They are... What worries me about this, and this could be completely irrational, and you know what I'm like. I can get conspiratorial. Not like the the problematic conspiracy yeah. theories, but I can get conspiratorial and cynical and, and things like that. They are finding more and more... This is AEW. More and more new ways of doing ostensible invisible camera on location segments with the thinnest possible explanation as to why the camera's there. And that, combined with the pregnant pause that Tony Khan gave before when asked about a potential three-hour TV show, the expanded 12-month mooted pay-per-view calendar, the fact that DQs and countouts are becoming more and more commonplace. The ranking system's gone. Um, the days of really clean wins and losses are pretty much over. Like, it's slowly morphing into a very, very WWE-esque show. A good version of it. A Absolutely, more energetic, yeah, yeah. thoughtful, entertaining version of it. But increasingly... They are like almost sleepwalking into being. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. WWE and this segment and the the skit we're watching next, reviewing next was, gave me the willies. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. Uh, yeah, from one restaurant scene to another, um, new BFFs MJF and Adam Cole um, are outside in a co- in a parking lot, and uh, Cole's basically saying to MJF, "Look." Really loved tagging with you as a team and, and us getting along better. Um, but I'm your friend now, and friends have to help each other face their fears. And I've, I've brought you to face one of those things, and that's spicy food. See, I knew there was a reason why me and MJF are best friends. I hate spicy food as well. I can't handle it. But he's here to face There's it. There's a limit to my spicy food intake. I'm not one of these people who will just go the, the spiciest thing on the menu just for the sake of it. Can I guess your your Indian? You can, but I do, I do like the tingle. I do like the tingle. I think if I think to be fair, I think actually you've said this before. I think you're a Madras guy. I like a Madras. That is the highest I will go. Like Vindaloo, I just find pointless. Yes. Um, I've never even dared have a fall. 
Um, so Vindaloo's the spiciest I will go in terms of Indian food. What I really like, even though I can't handle it, I just love the taste of it so much, is, you know when, like, in the UK, you get Chinese takeaways, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's not really Chinese food. <laughs> if you go to a proper, authentic Sichuan Chinese restaurant, where you've got, um, they do a dish where it's like a really hot fish soup, that's just, like, flooded with um, Szechuan peppercorns. Oh, yeah. And chili flakes. And it's got this oil. Like, it's so spicy. And it's too spicy for me, but it's simply so tasty that I will persevere through it. Wow. Korma for me. And even that's got a bit of a kick to it. <laughs> it's coconut, you moron. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's brought him here to face his fear. Spicy food. <laughs> and also poor people, in the words of MJF. My, uh, I was around my mates years and years ago. Um, and he'd been to visit Ipswich. I think he's got family there or something. Yeah. And he went to visit like a chili farm during the day. Okay. Because he's a massive hot sauce guy. And he basically went to the shop and was like, I want the spiciest ones you've got. And for like a bit, he brought it round mm-hmm. the mates. And gave everyone like a little spoonful of it. I was drinking milk <laughs> for two hours straight. It was, uh, what a, what a ruined the entire evening. Yeah. So, uh, MJF's not happy. Uh, it's a Chinese restaurant in Boston. <laughs> so many poor people, in his words. They go in and sat at the table. MJF starts telling a story about slamming the £675 big bill in front of 95,000 Maximaniacs in the Saskatoon Silverdome. Yet more incredibly subtle MGF and punk parallels here. I don't know if they just both realise that he's the ultimate... Who's the biggest arsehole in wrestling? (laughs) Well, half of them are from Britain. Um, And there are people who, you know... There are a lot. That's a, you know, it's a pretty um, pointed question. Mm. Hulk Hogan's one of them, yeah. And they both realise he's one of the safer bets to get heel heat by invoking. Um, so I love like this is absolute massive Hogan speak. Like, Great stuff. MJ, he's, the next one should be. You know, I could have played bass for the the, the Rat Pack back and band. What's the uh, most amount of dates you've done in a year, Cole? Because uh, with flying back and forth. Uh, to he can't say Japan because he doesn't work there and he, and he refuses it. to. So flying back and forth from Canada with the uh, time difference actually worked four hundred dates yep. last year. Um, he, Hulk Hogan made up a dead child. Yeah, did yeah because he said he, he made promised up he'd a win a dead yeah. child and said I'll get you free tickets to see the Hulkster at SummerSlam nineteen ninety two, brother. Didn't he? Didn't Hulk he say like uh, the British Bulldog? Didn't he talk about partying with John Belushi? There's some great. There's a great uh, Alan Sheepshot Sheep thread on this. I had to go and reread that again. That was when that dropped. That was all around the water. Have you seen this one? Great, it's great stuff. Yeah, more of that sort of thing. That was the only gag in this I liked. Okay, so yeah, it, they bring out some food. Cole's like, don't worry, it's not too spicy. Baby steps, and then what the hell it is spicy, you know? Um, and uh, it's like, like, if I recall correctly, it was lemon chicken, and I think General Souls. Good spot. MJF says we need water. They bring uh, drinks over, and they both just plow into them to try and get rid of this. Cole's breathing through his mouth and just makes things worse. 
Uh, and <laughs> MJF, in his own inimitable way, basically says, I know we're in Boston, but this really doesn't taste like water. Uh, and the waiter says, oh, no, that's not one. Well, that's not water. That's 100% alcohol. Cut to MGF retelling the Maximaniac story. It's now turned to 99,000 of them. Um, and Cole's just like, oh, fed up with this. They were all a bit, it's, all, it's, it's getting on this night. And Cole spots the waiter and says, you know, that waiter reminds me of Sammy Guevara. MGF's like, nah, nah, nah. He's a dead ringer for Daniel Garcia. And, uh, Cole's like, yeah, yeah, I see it, I see it. You know what, Max, I'm proud of you. You've faced your fears, which means there's only one thing left to do, and they scream in each other's faces, and the full brother. They scream, double clothesline, and then we don't see it, because don't deliver that yet, but they are <laughs> at least aiming to practice their double clothesline on the poor defenseless waiter and scene. I like that last Gargan theory, and God damn it, I loved this act in the ring. They are so good in the ring that I wish it was kind of contained there. This skit and the way in which it was presented, even though there's been good skits, this one being not as good as the other two brought into focus for me just how jarring it is to see this in an AEW context. Yes, they have every single time acknowledged the camera being there. That doesn't... I'm a dickhead. I'm the only person alive. I love it in the ring, and I can't wait to talk about why. I'm the only person alive who gives a single f*** <laughs> about the invisible camera. Obviously, Tony Khan does as well. You're the same because you're consistent. He makes, sure, he makes sure that in every single skit like this, and they're becoming more frequent, but they've done a few of them in the past, with like one or two rule-proving exceptions, there's always been some acknowledgement. Even in this one, it was, I think it was MGF, at yeah. the idea of, oh, I've got to go for a Chinese. He looked down the camera, which he acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Was just, I'm not doing that. So they do this every single time. It's the, it's the post-production, the close-ups, the music cues, the fact that the camera had to move and do it and like to capture the back of the head of the waiter before the double clothesline, and then the um, slow-mo. Who's making this and why? And who's filming this and why? And I'm either go all in and just do it or find really creative ways as to why the camera has to be there because they're just having their cake and eating it too. Yeah. No one else cares. Absolutely no one else cares about it. But you this. call it out whenever WWE does a, oh, yeah. and you know what? That's what we're going to do for the main event. Well, what was the main event yeah. going to be? I think it's fair that you I'm call it out. Very, very well. pedantic and um, consistent critic. Um, I all find, like with the gym one, the personal trainer has to track Max's progress. Hmm. Um, well, Max is filming himself to check his form. Something whatever, like yeah. that. I don't know if there's an explanation for going to a bar or a restaurant that they could do, but at least don't do the weird post-production stuff. Yeah. It's just, ah, I don't like it in the context of AEW. Uh, you know, what I always say when I'm doing my sets is, uh, you know, if you're cheating your set, you're only cheating yourself. And, you know, when I'm clanging and banging, then, you know, that's not, that's not something I want to see people doing. What was next on Dynamite? <laughs> <laughs> Alex Marvez again. <laughs> He's uh, waiting for Don Callis' limo. Has a decision been made? Yes, you're a fat-headed idiot. Love that. I did like that. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing, right? It 
all ended in a nice bit of deft dovetailing storytelling, which we'll get to um, imminently. Mm. The idea that they were teasing, further teasing Jericho aligning with Don Callis. Like, I thought they were telegraphing the yes. main event post-match angle, which I could not be asked with. I just wanted a nice, satisfactory resolution to BCC versus Elite before Elite versus the Callis family happened. Um, I'm glad that mercifully that didn't happen and we got an ending, but knowing their form and how they can never let things breathe and it's always on to the next, next, next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This whole show-long thing filled me with dread. Yeah, we can enjoy bit. it now, now we've watched the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can appreciate the plotting now in hindsight. So tense. Except why did they keep going back to this? Yeah, were you the same? Rule of three. It was, yeah, it yeah. was restaurant, arrival, commentary, getting mugged off by the last members of the JS, basically. And that was... And I was like... That was his, like, rationale yeah. for, right? I'm join the family at the end of the show and make Blood and Guts about me again. Mm. Um, then we got a Britt Baker match. She was against <laughs> Kayla Sparks. That was about as long as the match went. Sling blade, double underhook, suplex, lockjaw. It's good to get her back to winning ways. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to explain why I hate this as much as I did. This 25-second thing. Um, I'm not being funny. This is probably, like, really uh, analytical, even by my standards. How is this match bad for 25 seconds? It's an enhancement talent who was there to do a job, and she did it, but, my God, she either fed Baker so obviously for everything she did or waited too long to take mm. it. it was, I don't know how you can have three noticeable, not great spots in a 25-second match for a start. <laughs> 25 seconds with no angle. Like, this was, and I wrote this in the review. It was a nice bit of wordplay. This was so bleak and transparent that you could literally see into the window of the creative meeting and hear the words said by either you know, Tony Khan or one of the... Many people who now staff this creative room to not significant improvements, in my opinion. Not Pat Buck. Congratulations on this baby. Yes. Um, and that's possibly a discussion for another day. Um, but uh, I, and you can hear them practically say, uh, you know what the world's like these days? Bloody complain if we don't put the birds on. I could almost hear that coming out of someone's mouth in that creative room, hence why we got this. Like, I was begging for an outcast angle just for something. I thought it was coming. I thought with that just speed of... for something to not make me feel yet more despair at the state of this women's division. Like, what's happened to Sheeta and the outcasts? I agree. Does she fly to the show by hot air balloon back and forward, and that's why she's on it every, like, <laughs> two months? Hot air balloon. Because that's been dropped. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Riho was part of it at some point. Dropped. Like, he's just made such a mess. Like, AW is the nice, untidy house that needs a deep clean. Because the more he tries to just move something there, it's still clutter. Yeah. It looks a little bit nicer, but it's still clutter. Like, Jesus Christ. This whole thing began because... Soraya wasn't a good baby face, and she appeared entitled 
went a baby face and started talking about how she was the savior of a division that was, you know, apathetically booked, but it was better than it had been in a while or whatever. Um, and then they're like, right, let's turn Saraya heel. Let's do this weird sub-NWO group, and then you'll get behind the homegrowns. It's already like this one-dimensional premise. Then Hater gets injured, and it's stalling, and it's just going on and on and on. It's like, you could just abandon it. What, or you just tell different stories at the same time. Do something other than not give a toss. It's just so damning of the internal attitude towards yeah. women's wrestling in this company. This is like, this might be the worst one yet. Double bubble as well on this show. It's like an elevation segment. Well, I, I was, I, again. An elevation we, ass segment. It, I realize some people will say, well, you, this is just because you booked it. So you're, you're expecting something that you booked, not that it was promised by AW. You can't get angry at them for that. But when you, when we said, let's have a Crystallander match. And obviously I wouldn't want a Crystallander match that went 30 seconds either. Could have shaved 10 minutes easily off blood and guts. Yes. Let's have a Chris Statlander match. All right. And to be fair, they've they're given us one on Rampage. I wonder which way it's going to go. We're not going to preview it, but she's going to win. And I thought, you, you, you said Emi Sakura yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, I would have loved that for 10 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Again, we know Statlander's not losing there either, but it'll be a fun match, right? <laughs> she's facing Marina Shafir, as I said. I just thought, I'm going to look that up. I'm going to do some bloody research. When, Michael Sidgwick, was Marina Shafir's last win in AEW? That includes house shows, multi-person matches, dark dark elevation. When was her last win? Uh, over a year ago. It was April. Ah. April, but it was in a multi-woman match on dark elevation. I don't really... It's an open challenge title. I don't really mind... Why are we having Emi Sakura then? I know. We're going to do that. I've got significant problems with Taya Valkyrie getting the shot at Battle of the Belt. I don't care if she's from Canada. Is that how you book? And if you're expecting to book her in Canada because you're going to get a, a, a hot match that the crowd are into for the hometown hero, etc. Build her up with a bit of credibility before you do that. Don't have a lose. Three different shots for the lesser TBS title. And then lose to Sheeta unfathomably. Like, this building had been booked yeah. for Battle of the Belts and Collision. Like, before you booked all this. Her last, sorry, her last. women's division, I don't think is. It has been worse. I remember it in the pandemic. Mm. But, my God, it's not much better. Her last uh, televised, so Dynamite Collision Rampage win, Marina Shafir. April 2022. Absolutely pathetic. I tell a lie. The booking was probably better and more committed. They really did loads to get Baker over. They told that great story, initially anyway, with Anna Jay and Abaddon. Like, the booking was better then, and it was still a bit putrid. The talent's better now, where the booking is just pretty much non-existent. Mm -hmm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Anyway, Renee's backstage with Adam Cole and MJF. Uh, she asks, you know, are you surprised by your chemistry being in the finals and have, what have you? MJF and Adam Cole say they're ready to win the tag titles. Plan A is the double clothesline, and MJF says, unlike Sammy Guevara's wife, we don't need plan B. MJF's got a gift for Cole. It's matching trunks. Hang on one second. I'm going to cut. We, I know he's not here today, um, but we're going to cut very quickly to, to we've got a feed uh, from Michael Hamflet. Um, so I'll, I'll cut between them yeah. using the magic of technology. MGF has a Cole for oh, sorry. MGF has a gift for Adam Cole. It's matching trunks, and Cole thinks this is amazing because he's got matching jackets for the both of them. Hamlet, <laughs> thanks. Um, yeah. Cole's also got one more surprise, but MGF's going to have to wait and say, see. And then in comes Grumpy Roderick Strong on his dirty neck. He's yelling at Cole from uh, Wigan. Blackettes trying to tell him what happened. He doesn't want to hear. He's just pissed off. I love this development. I like this development too. Roddy Strong in AW acts like he does in NXT. That's not the way this should be. I understand that he's going to have a strong role to play in the storyline, but they could make him look a little bit less pathetic. (laughs) Yes. He's like one of the best meathead ass kickers in the game. He has to look, like, injured, obviously. Yes. To sell the Joe attack. It's more, I think it's as long as anyone sold in AEW. <laughs> I'm not being funny. Like, they do in the match sell in really different creative ways as well. But in terms of an injury, this might be the longest one yet. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Jericho's looking at him going, what are you doing? Yeah. It's a blood and guts. It was, wasn't it? it a week later. A I, week later, he's like, oh, that's fine. Fine now. Better. Got better. <laughs> so we get the... Uh, it's like one of the many times... Bear in mind, this is two years ago where it's like, ah, good, Jericho's going to go away for a month. Yeah. People need this guy to go away for a month. And then he had a, a thing that shot champagne or whatever it was on the back of a truck or something, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, Fozzy to her. Because people want to love him again. Yeah. No one wants rid of the guy outright. Make me miss you. Go away so I can miss you. He used to do it all the time as well. Mm. Fuzzy to her every day except Wednesdays. <laughs> I'll keep Saturdays free just in case I can win my way into a punk program. Just in case. So uh, Guevara and Garcia make their entrance. Then comes Chris Jericho. He cuts off Judas before people can really get into it, though. He goes to commentary. Uh, MJF does his entrance, and he does the whole, right, couple of seconds of my music. Point. Adam Cole's music, except 
production. I, I don't want to bury AW production again, but the bloody idiots. They played MJF's song again. Swerve! Adam Cole's done a remix. I hope it was him personally doing this as well. It was Beat Mikey Rockets. Um, but yeah, brilliant combo, the two uh, entrance themes. Great cap as well off the back of that. Oh my God. Not just from the crowd, but from MJF as well. Honestly, man, you kind of see the screen for babies getting tossed in the air. <laughs> People absolutely love this. I'm one of them. Yeah, same. It is so over. They did not, they must have known it was going to get over. You don't do anything in wrestling. It's like, oh, unless you know, you're giving it to my Hardy on Rampage. This isn't give, This isn't going to get over. Let's not do it. Yeah. Unless you want to try and get the Young Bucks to resign. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I don't think they reckoned how no. over this was going to be. I think yeah, they thought everyone's going to go, yeah, very good. Let's get to the turn. So they get, you know, the betrayal, yeah, yeah. I should say. Um, People and are still fighting for this team. I'm, I'm going, don't you dare. Take the titles off FDR for me. I don't care. I don't care. Just don't split them up. Save me from these at least three more months of 40-minute collision TV matches. Please. <laughs> Come on, MJF and Cole. So, my investment in that match, FTR are great. I'm being facetious. But, my God, I want MJF and Cole to have these tag belts. I liked, uh, I think it was Cash's semi-shoot pissed off. Why are you playing their music to end the segment? With the champs. Did you see Dax and MJF at the end? Mm. Proper, like, forehead scrape to forehead scrape. Either the pinnacle did go as badly yeah. as Dax. They referenced that, didn't they? Yeah. As Dax alluded to on um, the um, ill-fated podcast. One of many. Um, Not like... Not everyone uh, can be the... Uh, One of the only professional wrestling podcasts that's actually worth a f- <laughs> But they either worked a low-key, incredible nose-to-nose, or Saturday, a week on Saturday, week on Saturday be yeah. spicy. It's a bit like, I, I got, yeah, I got vibes of that lad you work with, who you get on with pretty well, and then on five-a-side night, Kind of lay it in a little bit sometimes. You're not necessarily letting them out. I always like to let, let people out of the corners because I think it's pointless just trapping someone in a corner and, like and kicking, kicking the shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, I get it. Yeah. It's not very you know team thing to, to just let them out of the corner. I will let them it? out the corner and then simply dispossess them of the ball. Yes. Use my incredible footballing vision to pick out the pass and then my technical ability to weight that pass, allow them to run onto it and... Uh, Miss because they don't have my shooting prowess. I, uh, I'm not very good at football. I love playing it, though. Like, I'd give up every vice I have to be a professional footballer, without question, right? I, but I just love playing. And I've, I haven't been able to play much recently, because you remember I did my ankle in. Um, and I've started playing again recently. And this is a very, like, I've got, I'm truly trying to enjoy this time, because... There's going to be a time very soon where I'm not going to be able to play for quite some time because I don't feel it's very fair to be like, anyway, love, best of luck with the kid. I've even been stuck at home with it all day for time to go play football with my friends. That ended my five-a-side career, man. Yeah. Uh, we, from 2012 till 2014, every single Tuesday we used to do it. But there's one lad who we play with, and I'm not going to give his name just in case. I I'm guarantee he doesn't listen, but just in case, takes it a little bit too seriously. Uh, like, keep the score. We always keep the score. We're not just kicking a ball around for no reason here. We want someone to... But at the end of the day, a minute after we walk out of the cage, uh, no one cares. No one turns up next week and goes, you got uh, suckered in the last five minutes last week, didn't you? No one cares. Yeah, no one cares. 
but he takes it a bit seriously. And he sometimes, for the 50-50s that I'm completely staying out of now with my ankle and I'm crap at football, uh, he goes in. Like, he's like, if it's a 60-40 against him, he still doesn't matter. He's getting, I'm leaving here with something, right? Played against him the other week and immediately regretted something because he came across and he really telegraphed that he thought I was going to just slip it down the line. So he's stretching. So I've knocked it through his legs. I've not run onto it. I'm not sure even if it went to anyone. I just saw an opportunity to do that and went, oh, Megs. Yeah. And then went, what have you done? You're going to get stabbed. He's going to two-foot you there. So for about five minutes, any time it looked like the pass was on to me, I'd just go and stand behind a different player. Ah, oh, being marked out of the game, boys. Sorry. Because I knew he was just waiting to be like, oh, sorry, mate. Hey, guess that makes us even with the whole Megs thing. Anyway, what are we talking about? Wrestling, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was MJF and Adam Cole versus Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia for the Blind Eliminator tournament. They sort of took our advice on board. We said, do the dance and then do the wanker symbol. They just took that to the next level by having a dance off. So it starts off with Garcia doing what, what only Garcia can do. Well, I thought only Garcia can do. MJF does it back. Garcia's like, no, this is how you do it. MJF's like, this is how I do it. MJF, biggest baby face in AEW apparently now, asks if the crowd, if they want a dance off. And they're like, we didn't come here for blood and guts. We came here for a dance. Yes. So he jumps out the ring, presses some button at ringside. Yeah. Great. Garcia and Guevara, I don't want to neglect them in all this, do like a choreographed routine of like to the right, to the left. And they're like, I'll flip up and it looks like I want to do like a, an Alabama slam, but I'm going to land you on your feet. Hey. And I loved the, you know, the Guevara spin into the pose and Garcia going, Whip! Through his legs. And then it, the camera cut off. Did yes. you see what he was doing to the mat? No, what was he? Was he? Oh, I didn't see that. He was that. humping the mat. He was making sweet and what looked like deep penetrative love to that canvas. Oh, I wish I was the canvas. <laughs> yeah, me too. I liked uh, Jericho on commentary as well, saying it looks like a shark. Because obviously his legs cocked like that. Looks <laughs> yeah. like a shark. Shark the week. Shark week looks like a shark. Um, MJF does, does his dance. Oh, my God. And Cole comes in and just f***s the air, basically. I wish I was the air. I think that's the real reason Hamlet's off today. I think he's... he's, well, he's making, torn his cock off. No, I think he's making sure his missus doesn't get to see any, any of this because we know the Hamlet family's relationship with Adam Cole. That's the thing. Adam Cole here was meant to be the goofball. Yeah. Not doing it with rhythm, looking like, you know, if you keep that... His face was very Wilbur. Yeah, if you keep that pace up, Adam Cole, um, Baker's going to resent you for being a two-pump chump. You're going too hard, yeah. too fast, too early. Calm down. You're going to blow your beans. <laughs> um, and why did, Why is it so funny? <laughs> it's like, I don't... It was just so funny. This guy has rediscovered every last drop of his confidence yeah. to the point now where he can willingly make himself look like a tit for the love of the game. The record scratch. The record was like, what is Adam Cole doing? Itself. I'm going to turn this off. Before we get to the match, I need to talk about this because people are going to think I'm hypocritical because... This happened in WWE. One, it just wouldn't be as funny. No. Guaranteed. Unless there were certain people involved. Gable, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who I was just about to say. Mm. If this happened in WWE, I would say, why was there a mixing desk for the first <laughs> time ever on, like, the ring announce table? How did MJF know how to work it? Why is there a disco light presetting, particularly on Blood and Guts Night? Why is, it, why is the disco music ready? Yeah. 
and yet mm. this had such absolutely incredible what tangent am I watching peak PWG energy? That's Just a really that good, yeah. Absolutely out of nowhere. This is inexplicable. My reaction to this is incredulous, but I'm popping my tits off. Do you want to know one thing that undermined this slightly? What? It wasn't as jarring as Ladina Debonair. <clears throat> if I, what? Huh? Because there's been so many sports entertainment bits on AEW television this year that this would have worked better had it been more disciplined throughout mm-hmm. the year. Maybe if they hadn't even done the skits of like, I can't believe that this insanity is happening in front of me and it's so entertaining. Like the duet with the JAS lads was perfect. Mm-hmm. I love the, the implication that obviously this is at random. So did, did they just practice dancing together? I love that for them. Mm. But they're so good at it. You've done this before. Like, there was it was so absurd that I couldn't help but love it. Being a bit boring bitch that I am, it could have been more absurd if AEW was more disciplined elsewhere. I don't want this to be the norm going forward. This no. has to be a random one-off. Just enjoy how banter this is for, like, two minutes. Yes. Um, so, obviously, Garcia and Guevara immediately attack. Uh, but they bail when Cole and MJF recover with double eye pokes and yell for the double clothesline. They bail. Um, MJF sets up for a potential dive, but uh, he decides to pose instead, and Garcia manages to take over as we go into a break. When we come back, MJF's struggling, and he does the uh, <laughs> the bump into the crotch of Sammy Guevara, which I think Taz called the Yambag Yahtzee. You love that. That's Great. Great. Razors. Uh, Garcia comes in. Cole can't... Uh, well, MJF can't quite get to Adam Cole. Um, MJF dodges a double clothesline, makes the hot tag to Cole, who runs wild. Uh, hits a series of super kicks. Misses the Panama Sunrise, though. Um, Garcia takes over, gets berated by referee Bryce Remsburg, so thrusts at him, turns around into an Adam Cole super kick, as did a flying Sammy Guevara. Cole and MJF signal for the double clothesline. Guevara ducks it, though, and hits a double standing Spanish fly. Oh, my God. Love that. Looks so good. Yeah. Um, MJF dodged like a super cutter, set up for the crossroads, but Guevara gets out of that. Cole makes a blind tag, uh, and Garcia, oh, because Cole had gone for the uh, lower in the boom, so he's taken the pad down. Garcia uses this moment to hit a double chop block and target the the injured knee of Adam Cole, puts in the dragon slayer. Um, Cole just manages to get to the ropes, Garcia gets backdropped to the floor onto Guevara, and Cole's like, do it to Max. Do the dive. MJF's like, I can't, I can't. I'm like, come on, I'm your best friend. Do it. MJF hits, and I'm not dismissing this, obviously, because you and I have never taken a bump and certainly never done anything like this. And I, I, take this the right way. All MJF does is hits a tope, and it's like he's hit a... Pepsi plunge or something off the top rope. People are like, Jesus Christ! It's like he's hit the Pepsi plunge off the blood and gut structure. Yes! People lost, as did MJF. Through a flaming table. And Cole. They they lost their minds. Yes. <laughs> Cole is the Panama Sunrise on uh, Garcia. Tags MJF and they hit the double clothesline. One, two, three, they win the Blind Eliminator Tag Tournament. People will be talking about MJF and Adam Cole for years. The streets like, won't forget. Yeah, for years and years and years. This is so good. It's so over. 
And I love, there's two things, like, it was all, the last two weeks have been like house show stuff, right? Mm. Where they've, they needed to do that because you don't want to swamp the big pop you're going to get for the double clothesline with like putting an additional five minutes of a really good TV match back and forth because that just muddles the messaging of what the fans are meant to take from those first two matches. The idea is you have to pop for the double clothesline and they did to like it's just a deafening level. But now that they've already established that, right, everyone knows what we're going to do. People want us to fail at the last second and then hit it. So we can now do a really cool five-minute match in addition to this. We can yeah, do that now. Yeah. And they did it. This is really fun. So where it was house show for the first two rounds of the Eliminator, now it's something else. This is so ironic for MGF, but it just underscores how just... I hate how gifted he is. Mm. Like you resent how talented he is, right? Because this was, funnily enough, considering that the Young Bucks have been in this company and Stadium Stampede was this to an extent. Right, if you remove the elite from the equation, this was the most peak PWG match in AW history. Yeah. And it was, that is the highest possible compliment because that energy was so, sometimes it was charmless. Like I didn't really like the Invisible Grenade stuff, personally. But when they did something absolutely what I can't believe this absolute mad scientist creativity. There was just nothing like it. It was inimitable, and yet they imitated it. Before I touch more on what I liked about the match, my favorite what am I watching PWG moment was in the, um, the three-mendous triangle ladder match between Future Shock, Super Smash Bros, and the Young Bucks where... They did this running gag where they would just torment Nick, uh, Rick Knox. And they do it to this day in um, AEW. But he had enough of it, and he gave them both a somersault plancher out of the room. <laughs> Watching Rick Knox do that, yeah. oh, my God. It's one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. They imitated the inimitable energy of that PWG rush. Mm. Like, full credit to their, to, especially to do it on this stage. It's so, like, it's bold. For a world title program, this is really bold stuff. And what an absolute genius MGF is a crowd psychology. Mm. It's just a, getting these reactions, man. It's he's just the best. You've had a dry run, effectively. Yeah, MGF, the baby face, and it's tested insanely well with audiences. Mm. It's just two more things I loved about this. Um, it was way more dramatic than I had any right to be as well. In addition to the toe pain, the clothesline. Just absolutely stupendous way of building those spots was two things. One, when Adam Cole's running the ropes and Guevara from the outside has done like that inziguri, Adam Cole did this weird sell that I thought, has he just forgot to do something here? Because he just moves forward, then cl clutches at his back. And then when Sammy springboards, flying nothing notwithstanding, Cold as a super kick, and I just did not see that coming at yeah. all. I just really nicely arranged that spot. And another thing is that you're going to get to the post-match imminently. Mm -hmm. Something happens in the post-match that might indicate that Cole's going to be the one to turn, but MJF teasing the crossroads by just meticulous design was there to make you remember he's the snake. He is a snake, old man. We've been here before with him, and he's reminding you that he's the snake. Just, oh my God, this is all so perfect. I have no idea. This is MGF back to his absolute best. Mm. 
after the Four Pillars storyline because what I loved about the, well, more than the matches, to be perfectly honest, although the MGF Jericho singles matches, I think, were really underrated, but what I loved about that MGF Jericho storyline is that you ne- it was like Breaking Bad wrestling version of you just simply have no idea how it's going to unfold. Mm. And, like, to do that without dickhead Russo swerves, <laughs> it's such a skill. Yeah. Because even the best wrestling storylines, you've got a vague idea of how mm. and when it's all going to go. MGF just wrong footy every time. Uh, so post-match, Guevara and Garcia are licking their wounds, walking up the ramp, and Jericho comes like, don't worry, boys, daddy's here. But just like Jake Hager and his hat last week, they just breeze on by. They want nothing to do with Chris Jericho. More problems for the JAS. And in the ring, the boys are celebrating. The ref gives the AW World title to Adam Cole because he wants to give it to his new best friend. But MGF turns around at just the worst possible moment, and Adam Cole is briefly briefly glancing at this bit of gold. And MGF's like, what the hell's that? And Cole says, no, 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 don't worry. It's your title. I'm just, just handing it to you. MGF forgets about it. Smiles, hugs Cole. Cole goes to the corner. And the smile drops from MJF's face. Then FDR come out, and like we've mentioned, Dax and Cash get into their faces. Next Saturday on Collision, AW Tag Team title match. I don't want to preview it now because that would be stupid mm-hmm. because we have a preview dedicated to that match. I'm fascinated by what that match looks like. Absolutely fascinated. And Roddy Strong's involvement in all this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nice tease for... The inevitable breakup of these these yeah. boys. Uh, Renee Baguette's backstage. Best friends, Statlander, Cassidy, Darby Allen, Nick Wayne. Uh, they set up Royal Rampage this Friday. Statlander's facing Shafir, as I mentioned, for the TBS title. Swerve's going to be in Royal Rampage. Um, but uh, So Darby Allen wants to get his hands on him, obviously, for the stuff with Nick Wayne last week. And uh, he asks Cassidy a favor. He says, look, someone helped me out when I was struggling, when I was homeless. I was trying to get into... Um, There's been there. And it was one AR Fox. Can he have a shot at your title? And uh, Orange Cassidy in his inimitable style, again, says, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I love AR Fox. AEW's the reason why I know of AR Fox, if yeah. I'm fully honest. Uh, so I'm very excited to see this match next week. Uh, Alan and Wayne leave, uh, and they do the all hands in with, with Renee, do best friends. Fine. Rampage sorted. <laughs> well, no, there's one more match on Rampage that we really can't call. You claimed the best, uh, you claimed the <laughs> Daddy Asher action, and I just can't see which way it's going to go with him versus the QTV lot. Yeah. Any, any any clues you've you've spotted? Yeah, yeah, the f- work in uh, House of Black the day after. Well, the TV show after. Oof. What? Why? Oh my god! Hope they're not, not coming off a loss for that. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? Chompy the Shark joins commentary. I only mentioned this because Taz was like, if he f***ing touches me, I'm throwing him <laughs> off the stage. Never change, Taz. Uh, and then we got a, uh, a great video package highlighting the history, of course, of the Elite and the BCC. How do you want to do this? Because we're at Blood and Guts now. Yeah. Do you want me to just go through everything? Do you want to just stop me when you want to talk about something? Because it's, you know, it's this is one of the most difficult ones to run through. Yeah. Because there's so much happening. Oh, I don't know. I might interrupt you. Just jump in, yes. 
because it was the the golden elite, Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, Hangman, Adam Page, and Kota Ibushi versus the BCC, John Moxley, Claudio, Wheeler Uta, and Kanosuke Takeshita, and Pack Blood and Guts. Uh, it was... Reggie first. Right decision, having the uh, bad guys win the coin toss, obviously. It's a rhetorical question. Yeah. Never do any other, any other way. I know it's convoluted, but the alternative is bad. Yeah. That's simple. So, uh, Claudio uh, starts. Kenny Omega starts for the Golden Elite. Um, uh, Claudio gets the early upper hand. Omega comes back. Uh, Claudio is teased throwing him into the second ring. The crowd are chanting for it, but of course he's not going to do that because he's a bad guy. Omega hits a crossbody off the top and sends Claudio into that. Uh, stomps him in the corner. Standing Hurricane Rana. Only just starting. <laughs> Pack comes down. He is the next entrant. He uh, nails Omega with a missile drop kick. And there's a tease of problems between Claudio and Pack before they beat down Omega going into the first break of the match. When we come back, Hangman Page is joining. Uh, crowd's loving this, of course. Page catches uh, Pack on a crossbody. Fallaway slams him. It's a springing clothesline on Claudio and a moonsault off the top rope. Uh, and we get a flash of the old tag team of Page and Omega. Great oh. teamwork. Oh, my God. Double team pop-up German suplex on Pack. Lovely stuff. Um, Castagnoli, I'll throw to you on this bit, actually. Castagnoli drop kicks Omega against the Page. Uh, page? Against the cage. Um repeatedly, as uh, John Moxley's entering the arena. And for a split second, I th- I wasn't sure if they'd changed the dimensions here because we were all con- we talked yesterday about our concern of the gap and yeah. are you going to be able to do that? I didn't, wasn't sure if they'd just... what they'd done here. Because later on, Omega gets trapped, doesn't he, between... So the- does... The, there's always that, like, sort of foot... half a foot yeah. space. I'll tell you what, though. That one that the... Um, Remember the security guard fell down when, when yeah. Wardlow hoyed him against yeah. it. So it's always had that gap, but my God, they didn't give a toss about it. No. Like, they just went into it. Thank you. If I go up, yeah, they're, they're, I think their thought like Nick Jackson, like, got, like, a really sort of his legs stuck a oh, bit. Oh, horrible. Like, his hip. But, like, fair play. It, it's a weird thing to bump against, but they bloody bumped against it. It's one of those ones where, isn't it, where, obviously, I don't know this, but I can only assume... Where they think, right, if you half arse it, yeah. you'll get hurt because you'll bounce, you'll only just bounce off it, and that's where you could potentially slip down. But if you go full force, you'll bounce off it and you'll cover that little gap of distance and just land back on the apron. That's that's what I think they took from this, which is insane, but yeah, yeah the way to do it. So um Paige is waiting for Moxley, he jumps in. I thought it was a screwdriver, or was it a screwdriver? And then he transitioned to a fork. I think it was a fork. It was a. I think that was a homage. Yes. To the um, ROH CZW Cage of Death match where Homicide was handing them out. He uh, stabs Page, stabs Omega. Omega tries to stop, and he just bites his hand. Uh, gives Claudio a fork. Feral. John Moxie was feral in this match. It was awesome. There was a bit where I was like, "Oh, Moxie's been busted open." Something else happened, and obviously, if you're in the arena, Moxie's doing something else. But for me, it was like, Moxley's bleeding. Let's look over here. Come back. How is Moxley bleeding, like, from two new gushes from his head? Because it looked like the blood had started to dry. And then he was like, oh, no, turns out I've, I've got more blood in I here. just bleed my temple. Yeah, yeah, just to keep myself going. So uh, he goes under the ring, grabs something from underneath it, and reveals broken glass, dumps that out. Nick Jackson hits the ring, hits a drop kick on Moxley. Moxley lands in the broken glass. Oh, my God. Can I just say that the way it's so skillful and well thought out, it must take them forever. Or, in fact, they're so good that I just bang, 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 bang when they're laying it out. 
when you see the glass and where it ends up, like it's always with a purpose, but it never feels mm. like they're putting it in a, in a cynical, easy-to-spot place because Nick Jackson comes in, does a really cool double-ring variation of his trademark hot tag, and yet when he's putting people on the glass, like he's never just doing something in a different place to where he would ordinarily do it to do things. I'm trying to... Yeah, no, I get it. It's all, it, it always looks like they've just arrived at a strategic opportunity organically. Mm-hmm. They haven't done this. They've meticulously, to the centimeter, put the plunder in certain places to make all of this feel urgent and improvised. Uh, Nick runs wild. He sends uh, Castagnoli and Pack together. Another little brief argument there. Jackson just lays them both out. Double springboard Hurricane Rana. That drops Claudio onto the glass. Yeah, perfect. Uh, Moxley comes in, though, and suplexes Nick onto the glass and stomps glass into his chest. Uh, Claudio and Mox double suplex Omega onto it. In comes Wheelie Uter. He's running to the ring with a chair as we go to a break. Um, Omega tries a springboard on Moxley, but Omega gets shoved back first into the cage and he gets trapped. You meant to flail. You're meant to flail and make it seem like the pain coursing through your body from colliding with a cage, which itself is a weapon, is near enough being electrocuted. Yes. Because, and he just, Omega gets what, he just gets everything because he's a genius. I love a Kenny Omega flail and cage bump. He just gets it. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, he's trapped. Matt Jackson enters, drops Pack with a face buster, DDT onto a chair for Wheeler Utah. Uh, Moxley's busted open at this point as Young Bucks hit risky business. Um, Omega emerges. Uh, Moxley makes a comeback with suplexes. Well, Claudio's help. Suplexes and uppercuts. Uta gets sent... He had a rough night, did Wheeler Uta. Sent face first into the glass with, by Kenny Omega as Kanosuke Takeshita is the final entrance for the BCC lads. Don Callis joins commentary. Uh, Takeshita hits Paige with a chair. Dueling suplexes for the Bucks. Hits Omega with a huge lariat. Um, it looked absolute there. Singles match. Preemptive. Oh, my yeah. God. Moxley, so close you were, brings out a bed of nails. I was thinking, is screwdrivers too risky? Why wasn't it screwdrivers? Mm. Considering the law of the screwdriver. In Same difference, feud. isn't it, basically? Yeah. It could gimmick it. Yeah, obviously. To put, like, the gimmick nails on the screwdriver ends. Mm. Oh, well, lads. It's absolute basics, that. <laughs> um, Omega blocks it initially, um, but a shot, shotgun drop kick. Even when he dropped it, you had that wincing. Oh, horrible. Yeah. When that, you ever think... stepped on something like sharp? Like a plug. Oh, oh. I do it like every week. I'm yeah. weird. <laughs> I can sense this is only going to get worse for me as children leave small items around the living room. I've never done the cliched step on Lego. No. It's always things I've put where they shouldn't go. It's always <laughs> my fault. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit later on. I think it was I think it was a bushy. You just like this is the thing. I would never do any of this. But taking a back bump onto a bed of nails, you feel like, okay, that's gonna suck, but it's a bed of nails and people the reason people can lay on beds of nails and walk on things like that, it's because it's the distribution of the weight. That's yes. why it's not as bad as your brain makes it out to be, potentially. Although, still, I'm not taking a back Oh, I wouldn't dare. But there's a bit where... How much money? What am I doing? Back bump? Back bump. Am I, am I doing the Ibushi post-match back bump that he did here? Do you see this? 
Aye. <laughs> so if I'm controlling it, one bump onto that bed of nails. Well, just take the one that Omega took from the body slam. Ooh. The body slam? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ten grand? I think like uh, I sold myself short here. No, no, I'm th- I was I just I did it for a couple of hundred. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got nappies to buy. You know, you know what I'd do? I would for my wife's thirtieth. I took her to a Michelin star restaurant. Okay, I wonder where this was going. What do you think it was going, mate? I, I don't know. I bought her a bed of nails. I took her to a uh, Michelin star restaurant. Nice. That. Weeks after we visited, was awarded a double star. Oh, double star. Double star. So we basically, technically, when it was in the rating period, just hadn't been published, have eaten at a two-star Michelin restaurant. That's awesome. It was amazing. Like, you know when they say wine pairings? Yeah. You think, oh, it can't possibly work that well. I am telling you now, sometimes when I've had a meal out, I just get too bloated. I'm too greedy. And it doesn't matter how much I drink. I'm just I'm full of food. I've never been more full and pissed <laughs> in the best possible way in my entire life. It was amazing. Yeah. I would do that for enough money to take her back there. Okay. It was yeah, I know where you're coming from with that. stupidly expensive. I met up with some uni mates who were far richer uh, in terms of familial wealth than I am. And uh, one of them loves cooking. Um, and... He, he was determined to do the entire menu. And I was like, and I'll eat that, brother. That's my contribution. Yeah. Maybe I'll wash the pots afterwards. Got a dishwasher, hatchley, um And he brought out some dessert wine. And I was like, what's what? What's the difference? Wine, all, all wine's dessert wine, isn't it? And I drank some and I was like, am I middle class? Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is goaded. Uh, anyway, where are we? Oh, yeah, better nails. <laughs> Uh, Callus is loving this, obviously, as uh, Omega gets body slammed onto it. And even Claudio's looking at Mox, very impressed with the sinister nature of what he's doing. The sinister structure. Anyway, so Omega's there. Who's going to come and save him? Not Kota Ibushi, apparently, because he's too busy making an entrance. I think it was Sean Ross Sapp who tweeted the Jeff Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> Whilst Matt Hardy's getting murdered. Yeah, he gets a great reaction, though, of course. Yuta thinks, I'll deal with this. I got this. Don't worry, cleaner. I got this. He hasn't. <laughs> he gets laid out, as does Claudio, as does Pac, as does Takeshita. Moxley, though, he is stomping on Omega's body and hands into the nails, flipping off Ibushi with blood pissing down his face as he's in the other ring. They get into it. Uh, Pac and Castagnoli, a double Pele kick. Uh, Moxley gets dropped onto the nails by Ibushi, who hits a standing moonsault. Oh, my God. Sadly, probably the only time I'm going to push that button for something Ibushi did in this match. They go to do the BTE trigger, do the uh, Golden Lovers on Takeshita, but Pac and Castagnoli make the save. Nick gets pressed over Claudio's head and launched into the cage to take us to another break. Yua and Matt Jackson had been brawling on the stage, uh, but when we come back, they're climbing to the top of the cage, and uh, Matt... It panics me a little bit by seemingly not realizing he's he's not in fight forever now. You know, like in 2K sometimes, or I, I'm talking more about like SmackDown too. You'd be like, I'm going to actually play. Yeah, I'm going to do uh, I'm going to do a uh, like a throw, and just because the way the game mechanics work, you've just you've done a better spot than Taker and Mankind. Yeah. Basically, I've just 
There's no table to break the fall. They've, they've just fallen off. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Matt Jackson's doing those rolling Northern Lights suplexes. I'm like, very good. And I know you can do them in one spot, but he does one and he does another. And I'm like, one more. And he, yeah, might, he yeah. might not go straight off, but he might slide off in that terrifying, terrifying. danger zone. But uh, thankfully, you, thankfully, you account as and hits a DDT and goes, I'm enough of this. I saw my life flash before my eyes. He climbs down whilst Excalibur's talking about the American Red Cross and how preposterous all of this is alongside blood and guts. Um, double pile drivers uh, are set up by Pac and Castagnoli um, on uh, Hangman Page and Nick Jackson. But Matt pours thumbtacks down from at the top of the cage. What a visual uh, yeah. that was. Trust the Young Bucks and the Young Bucks alone to be so clever to give you the danger of going on the roof and not having to resort to either far too dangerous a bump, Hellness, uh, King of the Ring 98, you don't do that. Nope. Or the stupid crash pad with an extra long table that exists to put a crash pad underneath. They did the danger of the roof spot, had the cowardly heel run away from it, and then deliver an absolutely incredibly creative solution to paying off being on top of the hell and uh, the blood and guts. Mm. I thought this was genius and then yeah because it initially thought is he helping the bcc yeah well, that's dumb but they reversed it of course and they're packing castagnoli get dropped but that onto provided the, the distraction exactly as well. yeah oh, uh, it was absolutely magic man you can't escape from the elite standing shooting star top rope elbow 450 splash onto pack uh takes us to a final break four suplexes in succession superplexes i should say by the bcc when we come back and in amongst all this packers climb to the inside of the top of the cage, and he swings into a double foot stomp through a table that had been set up onto Nick Jackson. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Of course Nick Jackson took that. Yeah. He's, like, a lunatic. It was one of those ones where I bet they haven't finished the sentence before they're saying, who wants to? Me. Shotgun. Brilliant. Big brawl. Ten-man brawl. You called it. It wasn't quite the... What was it you called it yesterday? Uh, West Side Story. West Side Story. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like a tick list sometimes. Oh, my God. Um, everyone gets nailed with stuff. Uh, Pat get hit with a snapdragon onto the glass. Omega sets up for the one-winged angel. Pat counters into the brutalizer. Everyone's in a submission. Uh, whilst Well, everyone other than Matt Jackson, who just has to eat a giant swing into a sharpshooter in the other ring. Uh, Ibushi breaks free, though, and slowly but surely breaks up all the submissions. Um, Kick mocks in the teeth. He did. So that was good. And he struggled to get Claudio to stop, which I liked as a... It's not just, oh, you've stopped doing the submission now because yeah. I've hit you once. Claudio's like, no, that's not affecting my yeah. ability to, to, to do this sort of thing. He's a human horse. <laughs> um, and then there's a miscommunication between Pac and Claudio. Uh, Claudio accidentally uppercuts Pac, and they have to be separated by the BCC and Takeshita. And Pac's like, oh, enough of this. I'm not doing it anymore. I've got my revenge sufficiently on Kenny Omega. Flips everyone off, gets bolt cutters, and cuts his way out of of the blood and guts structure. Great. Bales. Well, not great. Well. He surrendered. Indeed. But. That's the rules. Yeah. Slams the door in the face of Claudio. Uh, Omega fires up Snapdragons. There's a bookshot lariat from Hangman Page on Claudio. A bookshot trigger on Utah with uh, Omega. Moxley gets handcuffed. 
Callis says, enough of this, I'm getting my man out there. He pulls to Kesha from the match. He's five on three. And you is the poor sod who has to take it all. He, because there was a bit where they were like, oh, Matt, I think it was Matt. Yeah, Matt Jackson's wearing a diff, a, bl- a black shoe. What's all that about? And then it's subsequently revealed it's a thumbtack shoe that is being buried into Wheeler Uta's poor face as blood just pours everywhere. And as if that's bad enough, Hangman Page wraps a chain around the throat of Uta, chokes him out, he passes out. I'm fairly certain the ruling was Moxley surrendered on behalf of the BCC so that Wheeler Uta didn't die. But regardless, um, the Golden Elite are victorious in blood and guts. And then after the show ended... You haven't seen this. There's a link on the the news post on our website, whatculture.com. Uh, Kota Ibushi just um, back bumped into the tax. Why did he do that? Could I have done that in the match? Yeah. Yeah. That's Kota Ibushi for you. Right, okay. That's as good a place as any to start. Um, I'll go bad news, good news. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my TLDR. Extended bad, extended good. And if you want to read more about it, this, of course, you're no, right. it's a transcript. Okay. But you can check out other articles I've written at whatculture.com slash WWE. So TLDR, extended good, extended bad, extended good, and the good's longer than the bad. Yeah. The TLDR is that when this was great, it was absolutely phenomenal, and I got that fist-pumping, bloodlust, adrenaline-feeling Except it wasn't perfect. No. Let's go what wasn't through what wasn't perfect first. Like, uh, I don't want to pit. I don't want to put the blame squarely on the shoulders of Kota Ibushi for this match not being this blow away great classic. Because I think there were problems with the booking and the, not the layout, certain decisions made. Uh, the West Side Story spot and getting the bin, it is just people desperate for the fight forever chant. Even if, I think as it works, they get the chant. I hate the fact that they've kind of magically recovered and it's just this really pathetic, aspirational attempt at cinema. Yes. And if I hate that in the Fed, I have to hate it here. And I do hate it here. I'm not just saying it. Um, even if it gets a pop, even if it looks hokey and it undermines the idea that they're actually going to war because they're just going to the set. <laughs> um, it's been done so many times that you're meant to do things. You're meant to stop doing things that work to like to save them again, or to not do things to excess. But it gets the fight forever, big pop, standing o that they are desperate to summon, and it annoys me, and it undercuts the drama. But they do it anyway, and I hate it in every context. Okay, so that, I didn't like that. Pack surrendered that to plot hole, and I know. Or, uh, Tony Khan needs an ROH death before dishonor main event, but it was a weird echo back to that odd time back in 2022 when he was building loads of ROH stuff at the expense of AEW yeah. stuff. And at that point, I did think, Jesus Christ, pay it off after the match. Just have five people beat five people, especially have five baby faces beat five heels. Exactly. By having five baby faces beat three heels, I understand that the theme, because... It's the story, and Kenny Omega made it clear through exposition in his promo last week that love and friendship triumphs over dickheads who are trying to be badass. And in fact, that was how the match unfolded and the theme and all the rest of it. But 
five on five, please, for me. Five on five, yeah. and deal with the afters afterwards. Um, just make it nice and final and clean and fair and all the rest of it. So I didn't like those two. The extrapolation dis- of your coin toss theory. Yeah, exactly. You're still getting the psychology wrong, even if you do it at the end and not the beginning and throughout. Mm-hmm. Kota Ibushi in this match, like, there's so much exciting action. And I'm going to get into what I loved about it and what I thought was re- the most impressive part of this year's Blood and Guts imminently because I don't want to labor too much on it because I don't want to bury Kota Ibushi because that feels like an oxymoron. Um, and obviously, he's tried his hardest and he's not proper ring ready yet. That is... Third match in two years, Andy was yeah. telling me. Like, he's went through the mill mentally and physically big time. And you know what? The crowd went easy on him and they popped for his stuff... A big climactic sequence when he broke up the submissions. They got pops, even if they didn't look like there was much behind the kicks. But it was I'm, it was just distracting for me. I can't deny my experience watching this, which is I got up for the big moments. I reckon this will stand up much better on rewatch because it was very jarring to see Kota Ibushi in that state, particularly when he'd been billed. They're obviously not going to say, oh, he's a bit broken, but he's going to come yeah, and help. Yeah. They're going to promote him as this big game-changing deal, a guy that finally got the numbers equal in this big feud, um, and he's the game changer, he didn't really wrestle like it it was so jarring, like with Tanahashi now people extend a lot of latitude towards him, because he's such a goddamn revered legend, like he is so influential in changing wrestling in both the East and the West, across the 2010s um, for more into that, you can read my book, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, um, a big section on Tanahashi and his profound influence. With Tanahashi, it was this like gradual decline. And you could see it happening. And you've reached a point now where you feel old watching him. And it's a little bit sad. He's still got the psychological tricks to get you involved in his matches, but you've made your peace with it and you are respectful towards Tanahashi mm. because, you know, the guy is a total legend. Kota Ibushi's a legend as well, but my God, it was like watching... My last memory of Kota Ibushi was of this incredibly sculpted best-in-the-world tier worker, and overnight, he's entered his Tanahashi 2023 phase, and I never saw the intervening five years Mm. of the slow decline, so it was so jarring, and you know there was very little behind his kicks, that moonsault into the um, the nail board was great, but he flubbed more than one double team. Yeah, he looked on a different wavelength. He looked—I don't think he looked rusty. I think there might be—I don't want to speculate. He didn't look rusty for me. He looked worse than rusty. Okay, and I, I just felt a bit sorry for him in there, which when he's meant to be this big badass killer game changer for the Golden Elite, the ultimate hired gun. He didn't wrestle like that. No. It was quite distracting. Right, on to the very, very, very great things about this match. As I said earlier, they very much nailed that bloodthirsty, bloodlust, adrenaline. Like I felt it so many times throughout. Again, the assembly of the plunder, making everything feel like, oh, there's an opportunity. Oh, I can do this move on that bit of plunder without very obviously orchestrating it. Yep. I'm always impressed by that. And they did an absolutely phenomenal job of making everything feel organic. Yes, they retrieved weapons from 
suspicious areas of the ring, like they'd stashed it. But welcome to North American Pro Wrestling. If it's in a box or under the ring, it's the same freaking difference. Um, and I loved everything I've disliked about the previous two Blood and Guts matches is that they've always been a match of two halves for me. You get this really great, violent match, and it gets a bit excessive with too many weapons. And you could argue this was the case here, but the nail board is the nail board. It was <laughs> one of the coolest things I've seen in years. Um, it's always had this bit where, right, the match beyond is always this flabby, unfocused mess where there's little suspense and drama because it just feels like there's 10 really tired blokes in there selling and just kind of doing spots. And there's no suspense. It's just flabby and unfocused and long and I'm bored. And then the, on the previous two Blood and Guts matches, they've um, gone to the top of the cage and for what feels like six months, you're just watching guys in the ring when you're not meant to be, but you can't help but look at them. Just do now. Mm-hmm. Just do now. There was an element of that during the Matt Jackson and Wheeler Utah spot, but they did it nowhere near the finish or like far away from the yes, finish yeah. so that everything could come back and get exciting again. And there were moments near the finish where I thought, my God, this is genuine suspense. It's not just this flabby mess of plunder that's gone on too long. There's like the bit where they all had them in submissions. One of my favorite things about the Young Bucks is that they always look doomed in their matches, mm. even when they win. And they look doomed here. And I thought it was genuine tension over the result. They did that twice with the superplexes and then with the submissions. And that's how it's meant to be won. So I thought they've nailed the submit part of the thing. It always feels like in a modern blood and guts match, oh, the finishes just come out of nowhere. They built the suspense of, oh my God, this is it. Mm-hmm. And no, it isn't great. We get more action. And I thought the pacing of this, considering when 50 minutes was just absolutely expert, the really physical but nice wrestling, where it was just a wrestling match, but like really physical. That's why you can count on Omega to start this. Turned out to be a great choice. Funnily enough, Kenny Omega starting this match was a great choice <laughs> because it felt like a wrestling match, but with it being Omega and Claudio and the way they wrestle, it was super physical and it felt befitting of how you do wrestling in a blood and guts match. If you're not going to start with a brawl, start with that. Mm-hmm. And then Mox comes in with a fork and just escalates it and changes the tenor. And then Hangman Page is there to do like the really cool spots with Kenny where you get that bit of emotion into the mix. Mm. And then they don't waste all of the emotional aspect of the story early because then you've got the Golden Lovers reunion, which was more sentimental than electrifying, obviously, because Abushi's just not the same wrestler. Um, so they measured the emotion of it perfectly. The the way the violence escalated was totally perfection. The way the spectacular elements came in, because you do the nail board, and that's more trad deathmatch, where you can't do anything too exciting with it. You have to kind of do a body slam, and then like a, a moonsault, but you can't do the pack spot onto the nail board because, like, that's <laughs> getting impaled. So they do the more spectacular stuff later when they should have because it peaks. I thought for 50 minutes, considering how hard they went early, this was a masterpiece of pacing, mm. and they have to put the elite in the next one of these that they do. I agree. One more little thing before we finally wrap up, right, is I don't think enough people bled in this. I think that's possibly harsh because they killed themselves. 
Like they were, I should mention that again. I should stress it again. Respect to everyone involved. They went nuts in this match. Mm. Absolutely nuts. Maybe there could have been a little bit more blood, but I'm a ghoul. And I think one of the reasons why I thought twice about how many people are bleeding is because this match followed so closely the Fightful Select report from the band list that before Moxley got in there, I was thinking, are they going to bleed? Mm. Are they not bleeding in here? Because usually it starts. They bled. Moxley did enough for all 10 men. <laughs> I should not complain. If I was given this a star rating, I'd go four and a half. Mm. Um, I just wish I'd known what to expect of Ibushi so I could have realized not to raise my expectations. Yeah. It feels so unfair to uh, critique him the way I'm critiquing him, but I just didn't expect to see that version yeah. of him. And I was, was the same. And I... It was distracting. I'm going to watch this again tonight. Yeah. Where's this rank for the, in terms of all the blood and oh, the absolute matches? best one by a mile, and even this one was flawed. Yeah. I, I like, that's what I thought coming out of it. I thought, well, that's the best blood and guts ever, but thankfully, this time next year, when, who knows, maybe it's going to be the Elite versus CMFTR or whatever, whatever permutation yeah. of that is, for the real... We'll do real. a West Side Story spot in there as well, because... Everyone does this. But there was scope to improve, but I'm not complaining too much. One more thing, because other people will mention, oh, why haven't you mentioned this? Because it was a flaw. Production missed a lot. Yeah. They nailed every replay, yes. Me personally, right, I don't have that much of a problem with it. Call it bias, call it what you will. I feel like it's feature, not bug, when yeah. they don't catch yeah. everything. Because the idea is, if anything, for me, it illustrates the chaos of a match yeah. like this. I would rather, hand on heart, if you were to say, right, Ahead of time, they're going to capture everything perfectly in this match production-wise. Either that or you miss two really cool things. I'd rather miss the two cool things because it conveys like, oh, we don't know where to go. Yeah. Genuinely, that fits in with my, like, I like lo-fi music at times. Mm. Um, I would rather have the flubs. Mm. Not too, there was probably too many, to be fair. Yeah, there was one one you a spot that I felt a bit sorry for him for because he come in and he, there was a big spot. I think I mean, he suplexed on the upstanding chair and then just completely it. missed it. So that was his big sort of coming into the rumble, doing some cool stuff, and then missed it. Um, I'd rather have one or two than none. I'll mm. tell you that on, on hand on hard. But yeah, really intrigued to, to see what you guys think of this. Do let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Um, I'll try and get Hamlet's thoughts on it on WrestleCulture or something tomorrow because I am. Uh, fascinated to know what he made of it as well. He didn't like it very much. Uh, uh, you, can, <laughs> you can follow both of us on Twitter. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcasts, me and Sidgwick will be back tomorrow to preview this weekend's AEW Collision. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Blood and Guts review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.